0: People will want to know, how is it possible for you to live so differently than what they live? And today in our culture and our society, we have downplayed Christianity so much that anybody and everybody can be a Christian. And that's not to say that you've got to be perfect. But there has to be something in your life concretely that says you love the Lord and you are pushing forward and you are not staying in the situation that you know that is wrong for you. There has to be something that indicates that I'm living for Jesus. I'm living for Jesus. Jesus. And that is something that is urgent in this day in which we're living. That people can really discover that you're living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not able to get up there? I'm there on this screen. I should be on up here. All right. And... We should be a people who live in such a way that people are inquiring of us. How can you live a single life and do the things you do? How can you not be a millionaire and handle your finances the way you do? How is it that people can cuss you out and you're not ready to cuss back at them? How is it? How is it? How is it? And that's the thing that people have to see in Christians. And ask the question, how is that person able to overcome? How is that person able to do? How is that person able to live a life that they're living? Boy. Boy. And the scripture tells us to be ready to give an answer. We have taught ourselves as Christians to be very condescending upon people. We will do all we can to bring them to a point of guilt and that they need Jesus Christ and that they're going to miss hell. The problem with that is this. We got too many people in the church on their way to hell rather than the heaven. And that part has to change. And we want to look at this all in scripture this morning, through this one man's life. Father, as we, O oh God, begin to look into your word, would you minister to us? And in doing so, Lord, my voice cannot open the heart or the eyes of people. But Lord, you have a way of focusing people upon you and bringing them, oh God, to that place where they see only you. And you're able, oh God, to communicate with them one-on-one. Would you do that this morning? It's not important that they hear the whole message. What is important is that they hear you. and that, Lord, they focus upon you and their own life. And I pray, Father, for the intervention of your Holy Spirit, that somehow, oh God, he will grab hold of the hearts and minds of those individuals that you desire to speak to. And Lord, let us see that this individual is not someone who is perfect. He's not someone who is so far different than we are. But he is an individual who loves the Lord and wants to minister to people. Would you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's Stephen in Acts chapter 6. And Stephen, as we've been talking about, being fully persuaded, fully convinced that you are saved and you love the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment you put a doubt on God's word. Understand. What James says. A double minded person. Will receive nothing from the Lord. And oftentimes, What stops us from. Receiving the victory. In our life. Is because we will not believe. The word of God. In this certain area. Of my life. And then. I take control of my life. And I try to make it happen, and it's just a mess. And it becomes a mess because I won't surrender to Him. But when I do surrender to Him, I can begin to see the victory. I can begin to see how I'm going to win this battle. I begin to see how I'm going to overcome. I begin to recognize, boy how great my God is. That begins to change my life. But that only takes place when you are persuaded and you are convinced that Jesus Christ is all that he says in scripture that he is. That he is the only way in which an individual can truly live life and live it successfully is through him is through him your life will show if you are fully convinced about jesus your life your words may say one thing but your life will say another your words Are one thing. I love the Lord. I this about the Lord. I'm saved. I'm this. I'm that. But look at your life. And it says. It's not in agreement. With what your words are saying. And that's the reality. In our life. But if you're convinced. On who Jesus Christ really is. And you're truly saved. Your life will show it. Your life demonstrates it. Your talk demonstrates it. Now you need to understand this. The self says no. The self says no because of that unbelief that still is in us. The life says no because I'm a strong-willed child and I want it my way. The life says no because there's no way that you can see this thing working out in your favor. Life says no and rejects Jesus Christ and his claims and his truth because I cannot do what Peter did, walk out on water because I've never seen no one ever do that. And yet God is calling me to faith. And to walk by faith and not by sight. But I can't do that because I have not seen a person who really walks by faith or lives out the Word of God. And that was the purpose of the life of Jesus Christ to demonstrate that for us. We say no. But then there's something that if you're born again inside of you that says, yes, the Spirit of God. I don't understand it. Because there's a lot of things I do sometime in life that is by faith. And I don't understand it. But God somehow works it out for his glory and for my good. You have to understand those two things go together. God works it out, first of all, based on this. His glory. But through my life, if he's glorified, then it's also for my good. It cannot be for my good and not for his glory. It cannot work that it be for my good and not for his glory. But if it's for his glory, Is for my good. And we need to understand that. And we say yes. And it is the Spirit that says yes to us. What is seen in Stephen is the ongoing work of Jesus. It's the ongoing work of Jesus. In every believer's life who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ is not just about you being saved and missing hell. It's about the ongoing work of Jesus Christ in your life. It's the ongoing sharing of the message of the gospel in your life that is the work of Jesus Christ through you By the Holy Spirit. And we have to grasp that. And understand that. That what we're going to see. Even in Stephen. Is really the work. Of Jesus Christ. By the Spirit. Go to Romans chapter 8. With me for a moment. Because. This is what's happening in your life. And if it's not happening in your life then you're not really saved. You cannot be saved and somehow work up the work of God on your own in your life. That is a work of the Holy Spirit bringing you into the likeness of Christ. It's not you yourself trying to make yourself good or perfect or better. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. Why? In 128, he simply says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been, what? Called. Called according to his purpose. God has a purpose for you being born again, for you being saved. He called you with a purpose. What's the main purpose? It's simply this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness, to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. That all of us are predestined to be like who? Like Jesus Christ. To live a life like Christ, dedicated to the Father surrendered to the Father, obedient to the Father. We've been predestined to do that, not to be saved and work it out on our own, but to be saved and learn how to be obedient then to the Holy Spirit, which makes a difference in our life. Now, Stephen's name means simply this, a crown. That's Stephen's name, a crown. But Stephen didn't know he was going to wear the crown of a martyr. Stephen didn't know he was going to wear the crown of a preacher. Stephen didn't know he was going to wear the crown of a witness. There's a lot of things that we don't know. But God in some magnificent way works it out in our life. He works it out. He performs it. He does it. And Stephen in somewhat shows us the first battle between the world, in a sense, or unbelievers, or those against Jesus Christ. Stephen demonstrates the first battle between faith and those without faith in Jesus Christ. And we learn from him how to stand, in a sense, and do battle. And do battle. Now. He is the first. New Testament Christian martyr. Also. So he wears that crown. Because he dies. For his words. And his faith. Now. Stephen was not. Content however. To just be someone. Who worked around the church. Or did ministry to people with material things. He wasn't content with that. And he would not limit himself there. A lot of people sometimes, when we do work around the church, we feel we've done our duty as a Christian. No. Those are things that are necessary to be done. Those are things our everyday life that need to be done. Because you use a hammer, a screwdriver, because you mop the floor, because you empty the trash, because you wash some windows, because you cut the grass. Those are things that need to be done around God's house to keep it. But that's not your main ministry. And Stephen would not be satisfied by saying, oh, I'm working for the Lord. I'm doing this. I'm help setting the tables. I'm help distributing food his ministry went much further than that and he would not allow himself to be satisfied and Stephen and this is where we're at today Stephen knew the difference between the work of the temple or the work at church and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ those are two different things the redemptive work when the Holy Spirit is using you, empowering you, and the grace of God is upon you as you are ministering to another person, the word of life, the bread of life, than what you're just doing at the ritual or the traditional things we do as church folks. He was able to recognize the difference in those ministries and the importance of them. And the most important work is the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And two elements, though, that we need to really look at as we go through this. The confidence he has in his relationship with Jesus Christ. When you begin to talk to people about the Lord, how confident are you that you would be removed out of the way and somehow that feeling of the Holy Spirit will take control and lead you through every word that you speak? How is it that you yourself stay under control and do not get mad and upset with people Though their voice may elevate, your voice stays the same. Though they may have been rude towards you and have mistreated you, yet you show kindness to them and love to them and you care for them in your words, in your conversation. See, it always takes two people to fight. It takes two. But as long as one is fighting and the other one is holding to peace, boy, what a difference it makes in the atmosphere. And the Holy Spirit then is able to minister to that one. Understand this the Holy Spirit does not minister to us when we're out of control, because that's the flesh. The Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is simply this, control. Control in every situation. He takes control of you. Now catch this, hear this. That you can hear him and respond in the manner that he would have you to respond. If you lose control, you have lost the consciousness and the ability to hear him. But when you stay in control, as we're going to see Stephen, now the Holy Spirit is able to speak into your life that you may speak into someone else's life. And now Stephen that confidence of knowing that Jesus will use him, that comes from a relationship. A relationship that I'm here for the purpose of God and God is willing to use me. I don't know how he's going to use me in all situations. But I do have a purpose and that purpose is in Jesus Christ. And he reveals that purpose at different times in my life as I am obedient unto him. And the second thing is simply this. Stephen wants to show those who have a misunderstanding of God. God's method of ministering to humanity. God's method a ministry to humanity or people who don't understand his word. God's method. And what Stephen's going to show is God's method in this discourse. Now, how did Stephen get into all this? Stephen is one that you would say is of the Hellenistic group, or one who was basically raised more in a Greek persuasion than in a Hebrew persuasion. Him and the seven men were basically, ran their life according to how they lived as Grecian Jews, not Hebrew Jews. So the first thing that we find out in that chapter six that there's an argument going on between the Hebrew Jews and the Grecian Jews. Well, what should be the difference? They both Jews know it's how you are living this out. It's the life that you have somehow developed that's just a little bit different than the others. Now, let me explain something here. Life can be different without you sinning. But sin is the same, I don't care in what culture you look at. Adultery is adultery. Fornication is fornication. Drugs is drugs. Alcohol is alcohol. Cussing is cussing, swearing, foul word. That goes across the boards to all of us. But people can be different because of the way in which they were raised in a certain culture that does not mean that they are sinning because they live differently than you do. And this is what is taking place here. And that's why it's described, Grecian Jews and Hebrew Jews, because they were raised differently. In those days, in Acts 6, 1, in those days, when the number of the disciples were increasing or was increasing, now understand this principle about church also. As church grows and different people become part of the church, different ministries are then developed because the needs of the people are changing. The needs of the people are changing and people walk through the doors with different needs which then develop different ministries. And it goes on, it says that the disciples were increasing were increasing. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in daily distribution of food. So they were not being treated fairly as others who were. Jewish. now let's put this in another term in another term. The blacks were not being treated as the whites. We understand that. And that's basically what it's saying. One group was not treating the other group fairly and distributing food fairly. They were playing favoritism, and the complaint came forth. Now there's a solution to it. And this is what the church has to look for all the time. How do we solve this in a godly manner? How do we solve these things in a godly manner? And he goes on and he says then in verse 2. So the, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would, be, it would not be right for us to neglect ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables or to distribute the food. It wouldn't be right for us to shortchange over here our study and our prayer, our preparation while we're doing this. Now catch this because I want to be so clear on this. That does not exclude the pastor from working. He can't do it all. Too many pastors, we set ourselves totally to the side. We can't grab a broom. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do this. No, you can do it, but that can't be your main focus. That can't be where all your time is spent. And this was a time-consuming job. So the idea came up with, let's point seven men seven men who will do this. And they came up with that. And he says, Brothers, choose seven men from among you. Now, the thing is, they even excluded, in a sense, themselves and allowed the brothers or the disciples now to choose seven men who would distribute the food and take over this ministry and do it. Now, it's strange that all seven names are basically Grecian names. Nicole was the only one that was a Gentile convert or Greek convert into Judaism. But they're all Greek names, not Hebrew names, Greek names. That this was given over to. But I want you to look at the character. Of these men. In verse 5. This proposal pleased. The whole group. Look out among yourself. Pick out seven godly men. And he says. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and also Philip and the others that follow there, they are men who are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. You know what the church is crying out for today? Men who are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the women because they've upheld the church in so many ways in these days. But God made the responsible individual, the man, and guess who has ran away from the church? The man. And the issue is God is looking for those men who are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. The church desperately needs that. Men who really love the Lord. And Stephen is one of those men. Porcherus was one. Nicanor was one. Timon was one. Parmenas was one. These men, they gathered together and they did the work of distributing the food. Then what happens though, because they did not see it fit to leave the preaching of the word, they handed that responsibility over, and it boils down now, out of the seven, somehow the Holy Spirit chooses this one person to really key in on. Stephen. And he keys in on Stephen. Now, When you look in that verse 5, after it says, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit also, and it gives the other men's name, Philip and so forth, Wouldn't you kiss that word also, that these men were like Stephen. Now, it could have meant, as some will argue, that they were just godly men but they were not men full of faith or full of the Holy Spirit but the word also there is referring us to look back at the first person and really say this is what the other ones are also like they're just like him but then the Holy Spirit homes in on Stephen and that's what we're going to do we're going to home in on Stephen. Not only is Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, but he is also a man full of power, grace and power. Come down into verse 8 with me. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. That's what we're going to see in Stephen grace and power. Grace is that ability to extend favor to another individual who may not deserve the favor that you're extending to them. They're not, they have not in any way earned the right for you to be kind to them. They haven't earned any right for you to speak kindly towards them. They have not earned any right for you to be sensitive towards them. But you are. That's grace. You're extending to somebody else something that they have not extended or given to you. You're giving it to them. It's not an issue whether they are worthy of it or not. And oftentimes, our whole thing is I'll treat them as they treat me. No, well, who's going to be the first to be kind? And the Lord tells us, let vengeance be his, not ours. And that's where grace comes into play, that you can extend grace. The second word, power, because the two of them always go together. You can never extend God's grace in anger, madness, Out of control. But power. And it's the power then. That keeps you. Under control. That you can administer. Grace. To others who may not deserve it. And he said that he was a man. Full of grace. And power. And because that was there. Look what takes place. Did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. It wasn't an issue if the people deserved it, or the people could do this or do that. He did it. Great works and signs. Now turn with me over to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 25. Remember what we said, that your life will show it? If you are a man of faith and you are a person filled with the Holy Spirit, your life will demonstrate it. Your life will show it. He says, "In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. The littlest thing you do for somebody, it will not be hidden. Is what God is saying. Because really it's God's work. But people can see what you're doing. And because they see what you're doing. There is a response to your action. There's a response to your ministry. There's a response to your concern. There's a response to your good deeds towards them. There's that response. And people can see it. And they were able to see Stephen's miraculous works they were able to see the signs and the things that Stephen did he was not a secret agent he was out in public allowing his light in a sense to shine as he performed the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ now in verse 9 it says opposition comes now understand this and this is a lot of Christians today why we don't even pray when we're out in public? We'll get ready to eat, but we don't want to pray because that can be a controversial thing. Don't want nobody hear me to pray, so we'll whisper it very, very lowly, that nobody we don't disturb nobody else's meal. That's the time to be a witness for the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, Elaine and I we were out to dinner, and this gentleman came up to the, to us, and he started talking, he introduced himself and so forth, and he was sharing some things with us, and I just, before he left, I said, sir, can we pray? And right there in the restaurant we had our little prayer meeting. We had our little prayer meeting. More of us as Christians need to do that. Why? It's not just about him, but all the people who are watching. You demonstrate that you love the Lord. You demonstrate the deeds that God would have you to demonstrate. And the opposition, if you dare to live a godly life, you're going to be opposed. If you dare to do what God asks of you, you will be opposed. Opposition is going to come persecution is going to come even from within your own household even within your own family ranks, opposition comes go to Second Timothy 3.12 twelve. Second Timothy 3.12 I mean you, you can be doing and you think you're doing a good thing somebody else thinks, uh oh there they go again, uh oh they're trying to show off again uh oh, no you're doing what you believe God would have you to do in the interest of someone else. 2 Timothy 3.12, he simply says, in fact, everyone who wants to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted, opposition, opposed. It's going to happen because that's what you want to do. Then verse 10, it says, boy, and here comes the other thing that comes against you. It says, they begin to argue with Stephen. They begin to argue with him. And that whole process, he says, those men began to argue. Those who were opposing him began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Put those two things together. The wisdom that God gives, but then the words of the Holy Spirit that comes forth from you, it says they could not stand up. Their arguments fall to the side. Because of the wisdom of God and the confidence that you show in Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit then speaks through you, their arguments fall to the side. They can't hold up. And this is Stephen. So what do we do when the arguments lose? We tell a lie. We tell a lie about you. Now, somebody could say, well, I saw Pastor Brown drunk. Now, that could be a true statement. Because that happened to me at Camp Pilerton. I was so drunk I woke up with my head in the toilet and I said I'll never drink again. (laughs) But I was drunk. But that's over 50 years ago. But somebody will come in and tell the story like it happened last week. Somebody will come in and say, oh, you know that person? They don't do nothing but just do this. They shack up. They do this. They do that. Now they've been married the last 20 years, but the only thing you know about them is what happened before. And people come in with accusations about things, about your life, and they're not true. And the reason they're doing that is to redirect your focus, is to change your direction. and. It says, in verse 12 then, it says, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produce false witnesses. They produce what? False witnesses. Now understand this. People can produce false witnesses about you. They can do that. A man can be trying to help a woman get to her job where her car broke down. He comes by. He picks her up takes her to a job, somebody's telling his wife, you know, your wife, your husband, he's kind of cheating on you. I saw him in the car with so-and-so. You, you know, your wife, boy, she picked up this young man and, and you you know, don't know what's really going on, man. You got to check this out because she was taking him somewhere but don't have the what? The whole story. People can make up charges against you in order to have you change direction in life or to lose your focus upon the Lord. And they had these men come in as false witnesses. These these fellows never stopped speaking against this holy place. This fellow never stopped talking about Stephen and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the custom of Moses handed down to us. Now remember, they grab him, and they're taking him where? To the Sanhedrin in verse 15. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, And they saw that this face was like the face of an angel. It's something how God, even when people begin to mess with you and bother you, they can see something different than just you. They can see something different than just you. And they're there, and they're going on here, and they're going to lie and tell all these false things, That when we get into chapter 7, the question is asked of Stephen. Is this true? Sometime, and Stephen does this. Sometime it's better to be silent towards certain questions and answer it in a different way. Stephen never answers the question that they asked him. Is this true, that you blaspheme the temple, that you blaspheme Moses, that you blaspheme the law that we believe in? He never answers that question. So in 7 it says in verse 1, Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Now here comes the grace, here comes the power. That he demonstrates in his life. What does he call them? Brothers. And fathers. Respectful to those who are older. And those who are similar. Brothers. And fathers. He didn't start yelling out. You liars. You this. You that. But grace. Extends this kindness, brothers and fathers. And then what follows is so important. Listen to me. Listen to people. How many times do you elevate your voice to get the attention of somebody, or do you request that they would at least listen to you? It's the difference, isn't it? When somebody really wants to say something, they're going to elevate their voice. They're going to start shouting. They're going to start yelling. But when last time you've asked, somebody's asked you, would you please just listen to me? Without the elevation of the voice, there's the power now of the Holy Spirit keeping Stephen from acting out in the flesh. And requesting, would you listen to me? And what he's asking is this let's put all these stories we've heard, let's put them out of the picture in a sense. Let's put out all your wrong thoughts about me. Let's get rid of all this garbage here for a moment. And just listen to me. And then mindfully, Stephen is not a scholar. He's not a biblical scholar. Stephen's just one of us. Just an everyday old Joe. But what Stephen's going to demonstrate is this. He knows the word. He knows the word. See, you don't have to have reverend behind your name, or this behind your name, or doctor behind your name, or some type of institution with the degree of whatever hanging on the wall. That's, you don't need that. You need to be filled with Faith and the Holy Spirit and the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all that's really needed. And he begins to share with them from Abraham to Moses. He tells them chronological order in a sense of all that their fathers had rejected. What he is showing to them is simply this also. The method of God. God's method was to call Abraham to start a people, and out of Jacob comes 12 tribes. He's showing God's method of ministering to the human race through people. That brings him to the conclusion... That your fathers who have always rejected the prophets and killed the prophets even killed the one that God sent to save us, Jesus. He puts, he wants them to put everything to the side as he shares. And he did he he wasn't there with a Bible. The Bible was hid in here. And he's sharing it. From Abraham to Moses. But then he picks out a little section about Moses. To demonstrate the rejection. That demonstrates the rejection. So go with me to 735. He says, This is the same Moses who they had rejected with the words. Who made you ruler and judge? And that's how people first begin to attack you. Who made you judge? Who made you better than me? Who said you were perfect? Who said you never made no mistakes? Who said that you didn't do this or you didn't do that? And the who made you ruler? Now, with that... Keep that in mind. Go back up to verses 23 through 27 real quick. We got to run a little bit. But look at 23. He said, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to what? Rescue them. That was Moses' thought. But they did not. They did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Now come back down into 35 again. This is the same Moses who they had rejected with the words who made him ruler and judge. Now who's made him ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. By God himself. God sends Moses And people can't distract you. Now I want to close with this last little part because it's so important for us to catch. Look at verse 39. 37 first. Look at the method that God uses that is being declared. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. Speaking of Jesus. He will send you a prophet from your own people. Come down 39. But our fathers, he includes himself now. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him. And in their hearts turn back to Egypt. We turn back to our sins. We reject the love of Christ. We reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We reject what his word says. And we turn back to do the pleasures of our own hearts. Now, I want you to really hone in on this part as we close. Because this should be each and every one of us. Remember what I said earlier? we continue with the work of Jesus when we get into this next area it is important that we grab hold of it the fathers refuse come over to 51 with me verse 51 you stiff-necked people you circumcised you uncircumcised hearts and ears You are just like your fathers. You always resist who? The Holy Spirit. You're not resisting me. You need to understand when you're resisted, it is not about you personally. It's about the Holy Spirit who is speaking those words through you that is being resisted. Not you. And he goes on, he says, they even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to know nothing about the coming of Jesus Christ. They killed them. Now, come on down with me, 56. When they heard this, they were furious. Understand this principle again here. Catch this, write this one down. When you speak truth into the life of people, you are not accountable for their reaction towards you. You are not responsible for their behavior because they reject truth and may say some things to you that are are not pleasant, but you are not the one that is responsible for it. Don't let somebody tell you, you made me do it. No. You responded to truth either positively or negatively. And he goes on. And as they covered their ears and yelling in 57, their voices, they all rushed on him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. Hang on to that with me. Hang on to that verse right there that they laid their clothes at the feet of Saul because they're getting ready to stone. And they don't want that coat or anything to interfere. They take that coat off so they can really throw at Stephen. But look at Stephen. Look what God does. And this is so highly important here that we catch this because this is what we are to do. This is how we are to act. And we should be praying, Lord, give me the strength to act in such a way. Give me the strength to act in such a way. And he says, At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragging him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile the witnesses laid their clothes at his feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Where did Stephen's attention go to? Not to those that were mistreating him. Not to those that were stoning him. Up to God. God captured Stephen's focus. That Stephen would not retaliate in a negative way to the people. God grabbed hold of Stephen's mind and focused it on him. And he goes on and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What is that? Remember when Jesus was on the cross? He commanded his spirit into the hands of who? His Father. There's the likeness. He prayed and commands his spirit into the hands of Jesus. And when you're being harshly talked about, you're being persecuted, you're being mistreated, let God grab your attention that you see him. And you know that you are in the hands of God. And then he goes on and he says, Lord, do not hold this against them. Why would he pray in such a fashion? Don't hold this against them. If God held, them, uh, held that against them, they could never be saved. And Stephen says, forgive them. What does Jesus say on the cross? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He is imitating the one that he follows, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what are we to do? Imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the very last point. When these things are happening to you in life, remember somebody's watching. Somebody's seeing you. Somebody's looking at you. And remember Saul, who later became Paul? Some say that Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name, because he was also a Roman citizen. But here's Saul. Now catch, verse 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen. Everybody else was running. Two things. Saul who witnessed this, first of all, were with the people who were like stony. And Paul took off doing what? Trying to destroy Christianity. When you will live a godly life, when I live a godly life, and I go through the hardships of life and allow God to minister to me, and I don't retaliate in a sense, because somebody's watching. What Paul saw happened to Stephen, and Stephen would not recant, Stephen would not back up, Stephen would not move off of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That had to hunt Paul for all his days until he came to Jesus. And even when, Jesus, when, when Paul himself was martyred for the name of Jesus, I would say to you, suggest to you, that he was also remembering Stephen. Your witness is valuable by how you live. It's unquestionable that somebody's watching how you live that's going to impact their mind that they'll never forget this is how brother so and so lived this is how sister so and so lived this is what they went through in life this is how they stood for Jesus and that burned into Saul into Paul's heart and mind and it was there over what he saw father father would you take your word and burn it into our hearts, into our minds, and allow us to know, Lord, that we are being we are being made in the likeness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us not be a people who refuse the Holy Spirit and will not give Him a freedom to work in our lives. But may we be a people who yield and say yes rather than no. That the Holy Spirit might work in us. And that we, oh God, might know how to answer those. Not in defense of ourselves, But in the defense of the one who has saved us. And then, oh God, leave the results in your hands. Lord strengthen us as men and women to be full of faith full of your Holy Spirit full of your grace and full of the power of the Holy Spirit to be able oh God to reveal what a godly man and a godly woman is in this day in which we're living Lord would you work in us the work that only you can do and Lord will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Our God. Sing it again, our God. Do it again, our God. Our God. He reigns, he reigns He reigns Our God is an awesome God He reigns He reigns He reigns Our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Our God is He reigns, He reigns, He reigns Our God is an awesome God